Welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we will look back on the pop cultural ephemera that remains in our cultural zeitgeist today and try to understand why we remain enchanted all these years later. This week, we will be revisiting... In 1983, Michael Jackson debuted his version of an old dance called the Moonwalk. It was his signature move, and it's fitting because Thriller, the song and music video we're here to talk about today, uh, might as well have been the moon landing, a seminal event in musical history that vaulted Michael Jackson's fame beyond any level of fame uh, that we have ever seen before and may ever see again. Uh, I can't express just how famous the King of Pop was. If you were not born early enough to remember Michael Jackson vividly in your memories, it's really hard to understand. You you would look back at this person and say, well, he had a lot of hit songs, they've got a nice groove, uh, they're fun to dance to, uh, these are great uh, tunes, but... It's hard to conceive of the the outsized portion of pop culture that he really seized onto, uh, and to the point where he dominated not just the 1980s, uh, but well into the 90s, uh, in a way that, like I said, we'll never see again. The Beatles come close, but that's still divided amongst four lads from Liverpool. Uh Thriller is really the the launch pad that sent him, uh, in Spaceballs terms, to ludicrous speed. Now, I do need to put in a disclaimer up top. Uh, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room, which, of course, is that uh, Michael Jackson was a terrible person who did very terrible things. Uh, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, his artistic triumphs, uh, which remain objectively artistic triumphs, despite all of his awful behavior. I just want to make it clear that by talking about uh, the massive success and pop culture phenomenon that Thriller was, uh, that is in no way meant to excuse what he did, uh, to whitewash it, or to somehow make it okay. And if you're the kind of person who says, you know, I can't even listen to a podcast about Thriller um, because of that, uh, that's okay. You know what? If you if you want to uh, pull over, uh, get off, and hop back on on our next episode, I'm totally cool with that. I understand. But as a nostalgia piece, it's hard to imagine something that had a bigger cultural impact than Thriller did uh, to the degree that, you know what? This is now part of the fabric of, of Halloween. Uh, if there were uh, Halloween carolers <laughs> every year, this song would be in their rotation without fail. It is in every Halloween playlist to this day. Um, but uh, I think we should start off by talking about kind of the origins of the song, uh, the and of course then move on to talking about the music video, which is uh, it largely considered uh, the best music video ever made. It was 
inducted into the National Film Registry. I think it's the only music video inducted into the film registry, and certainly the first one, uh, because it is of national cultural significance. Uh, and I think that's hard to deny. Um, now, uh, again, uh, I'm not going to be spending any more of this podcast talking about Michael Jackson as a person. Um, we're really only going to be talking about him as an artist and and how this fits in. Um, I do tend to believe in the death of the author. Um, and since Michael Jackson is now dead, um, he one, he can't hurt anybody anymore, and uh, he doesn't get any more royalties wherever he is. Uh, so I, I, I don't feel too bad about um, boosting the song to the extent that this podcast will do that. Um, but I also think it allows us to kind of take him out of the equation. I mean, look, uh, if we had to uh, not talk about everybody who unfortunately contributed to society and uh, detracted from it at the same time, guess what? You wouldn't be using the Pythagorean theorem either. Um, now, that's not to say, oh, gee whiz, cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. That's horseshit. There is no cancel culture. It's called, you did something shitty and we don't like you anymore. That's not a cancel culture. That's not a culture. That's just how it's always been. That We shun people who do awful things. So it's okay to, to feel that way about him. In fact, you should feel that way about Michael Jackson. But uh, moving on to the song and the video themselves, which I think now stand apart from him. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to, again, deny the outsized impact of this thing. So where to begin? So Thriller, the album, uh, comes out in late, November of 1982. It his his second solo album, his follow-up to Off the Wall, which was released in the late 70s. Uh, he paired up again with producer Quincy Jones, uh, he wanted to make something where he felt like every song on the album was a hit. He felt that he was tired of hearing songs where he'd buy an album and there would be like, yeah, one or two great you know, bangers on there and the rest is all filler. And he's, I think he largely succeeded in that. Thriller has nine songs on it. Seven of them were hit singles. And Thriller was actually the last of these singles. Um, the song was written by a gentleman named Rod Temperton, and it was not originally conceived as the Halloween-themed favorite that it became. Um, originally, it was a song called Starlight, and uh, I'm going to play here a little bit of Starlight for you, and as you'll hear, it's the exact same groove, the same bass line. All of the instrumentation is basically the same, minus the Halloween sounds, um, but it uh, all of the words are different, and uh, let me give you a little taste of Starlight. Blunt, it kind of sucks. Um, and it's 
it's amazing because everything that makes that song, you know, just fun to dance to and, you know, the it's got this great driving beat and a pulse to it. That's all still there in the Starlight version and yet it just doesn't work. And I don't know if that's because we're so familiar with the final product that it's hard to listen to this and, and make sense of it. But there is something, I think the song, there's a mismatch between the lyrics and the Starlight lyrics and that that music. That music really has a minor key and it has kind of this almost like intense, like, you know, as the final one says, they're out to get you, right? Um, that, that song feels like it's creeping up on you, creeping, or the creeper's creeping up behind, right? Um that's not there in the starlight version. The lyrics are just kind of just whatever. Um, they don't, they don't match. And I don't think they really mean anything either. Nearly not the way that the, the final one does now transforming starlight into thriller, um, was largely Michael Jackson's idea. Uh, he was, uh, he loved genre stuff. And I think that's evident in a lot of his videos and songs. Um, he really had a love for, for genre movies and, um, uh, and uh, horror stuff in particular. And so he said, let's make it, he was the one who wanted to make it more Halloween themed. And once that idea came into the mix, Rod Temperton said the lyrics kind of wrote themselves. Uh, and that makes sense because it's so easy to theme something to horror and to Halloween, right? You've got all of the ghouls and goblins and vampires and whatever you want to talk about. You've got the entire grab bag of Halloween stuff at your disposal. Um, and so the lyrics really fell into place at that point. The next big idea, the next innovation in the song was getting Vincent Price to come in and do the darkness falls across the land uh, stuff at the end, because who better, right? He's the ultimate voice, I think, of Halloween. Um, your only other options maybe are Boris Karloff, although he may have been dead by this point. I can't remember if Boris Karloff was still alive by 1982, um, but Vincent Price was, and uh, it turned out he was game to do it. And by a weird coincidence, they just they said, let's get Vincent Price. And Vincent Price said, OK. And it came to the day of the recording and they still hadn't written anything for him to say. And so Temperton famously wrote the the rap or poem or whatever you want to call it. That's at the end of the song. Most of it in the cab ride on the way to the studio. So I went off to bed and the very next morning at nine o'clock, the bell rings and I'd totally forgotten this, but my publisher from England had come over to America and it had always been planned that we would have breakfast that next morning. And he came and arrived and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm supposed to write this thing, but I've got this lengthy meeting. And so I had the breakfast with my publisher and had a long business meeting, which went up till noon. And uh, the session was at two o'clock. And finally, my publisher left. And at about 10 past 12, the phone rings and it's Quincy says, how are you doing? Have you, have you got something? And I said, yeah, well, don't worry about it. I'll have something. Uh, I'm just finishing it off. <laughs> and so I hung up and got a piece of paper and frantically started to write some stuff. And just one of those lucky times that... Uh, it just flowed out of me. Uh, I mean, it, well, I'd written all the lyrics for the song and, and uh, the theme of the whole thing was so strong anyway that it was quite easy to visualise all these 
kind of lines that uh, Vincent would say. And so I started writing and I wrote one verse there while I was waiting for the taxi. And then I got in the taxi and while I'm going to the studio, I, I wrote two more whole verses. Of which, so, so I wrote three uh, verses of, of poetry or rap and, and we only needed two in the end anyway. And as I arrived at the studio, I saw a car pull up and out steps Vincent Price. And the taxi pulled around the back of the studio and I dived out of the cab, raced in the back door, said to the secretary, photocopy this quick. And uh, they put it on the music stand and he walked in and sat down in his chair and off we went. Uh, it is an indelible part of the song. I think you know it, it's hard to imagine the song without the Vincent Price stuff at the end. It kind of um, really puts a capstone on the Halloween theming. And there is actually a third verse of it that didn't make the cut. Um, so if you've never heard it, I'm going to uh, splice that in here so you can finally hear the third, uh, or actually it's the middle uh, verse of the Vincent Price portion of the song. Here it is. The demons squeal in sheer delight. It's you they spy, so plump, so right. For though the groove is hard to beat, yet still you stand with frozen feet. You try to run, you try to scream, but no more sun you'll ever see. For evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip. I don't know how this would have fit into the song. It definitely would have made it too long, but it's really fun to hear. Um, it's really fun to hear Vincent Price just talk about Halloween in any capacity. Now, now that they had their their song and they and it became the title track, and of course the final version was slotted into the album. Uh, it's uh, track number four on the album and weirdly comes right after the uh, the scariest song on the album, which is The Girl Is Mine, the duet between Paul McCartney and uh, Michael Jackson, who would famously have a falling out later because McCartney told Michael Jackson, oh, you should invest in uh, music catalogs. It's great. Unfortunately, Michael Jackson took that to heart and bought the Beatles' catalog, uh, which really, really burned uh, McCartney. Um, the Girl Was Mine is actually the lead-off single from the album, which is kind of surprising because I think it's one of the weaker tunes on the album. But I'm sure they thought, hey, we got a Beatle. We got to use this. Um, and Thriller, the album, became the best-selling album of all time. But not until, um, I think, until the Thriller, the last single, and then its music video came out at the end of 1983. The, the album spent a total of 37 weeks at number one. 37 weeks. So if you ever take one of those quizzes or you go online and you say, hey, what was the number one album the year I or the week I was born? If you were born uh, between November of 1982 and say like June of 1984, there's a good chance that album was Thriller. It went on to sell 70 million copies. Um, the next closest one is ACDC's Back in Black with about 50 million copies. So, uh, again, a, a record that may never be equaled. It's an extraordinary number of sales. And it was powered by, uh, you know, big hits that he had with Beat It and with uh, Billy Jean, right? All of the major songs you know off that album 
were coming out as singles and videos on the nascent MTV, which, uh, here comes the oldest take in the world, used to show music videos back in the 80s. Um, MTV started in 1981, so it was only a few years old. And the reason they decided let's do a, a, a music video for Thriller at all was that the album had been knocked off the number one spot in the charts twice. Um, it was knocked off by uh, the Flashdance soundtrack, which you know has a couple of good songs on it, right? What a Feeling, uh, Maniac. Uh, and then later, after it climbed back up to number one, uh, it was knocked off again by Synchronicity, by The Police, their final album, which uh, no slouch either. That's an incredible album. It's got every breath you take on it. Uh, you know, extraordinary single. Um, so the record company was looking to see what can we do to you know revitalize the uh, the sales of Thriller, and so they said, well, let's do Thriller as a single or and as a video, and Michael Jackson uh, decided let's get John Landis to direct it. John Landis was a, you know a an up and coming director at this point, but he had a big hit notably with an American Werewolf in London, and the 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 transformation effects in that movie are real visceral. They're real gross. It's classic, like practical, uh, body horror type effects. And Jackson really wanted that. He wanted that in this movie, uh, in this video. And it was unparalleled in its ambition because it wasn't just, you know, let's get Michael to, you know, dance around a studio like he did in Billy Jean. Um, and those videos are cool. Billy Jean and, and beat it are both great, um, videos, but they're fairly standard in a lot of ways, except for the fact that Michael Jackson can dance the pants off of most other people in those videos. Um, if you look at early videos from MTV, it was a real early ones from like 1981, 82. I remember thinking about, there's a video for Gloria, that one hit wonder by Laura Branigan. And it's like her in uh, just sitting in an empty studio full of Euclidean, three-dimensional Euclidean shapes, like some pyramids and some spheres and cubes. And all of it's kind of this sad brown color, and she just goes and sings the song, and that's a video. Um, there's a lot of videos that are just concert videos, right? It's just the band performing their song or really lip-syncing to it. Uh, Michael Jackson was one of the early innovators, so much so that you know, even at, especially after Thriller, uh, a new Michael Jackson music video was an event. Uh, you know, when when Bad came out a few years later, when Dangerous came out in 1991 this is the one i remember being such a big deal because i was old enough uh in 1991 to remember like oh my gosh this video for black and white is coming out it's going to be a huge huge deal a brand new michael jackson video um he was at the forefront of pushing that other guys like peter gabriel at the time were also big on having their videos be uh you know full of neat effects or animation and be innovative but nobody did what michael jackson did in terms of let's make something that's about you know 13 minutes long it was never meant to be a little movie. It was really just, you know, what can we do to showcase a song that lasts two and a half, three minutes? Um, but when you're Michael Jackson and you've had the number one album in the world for I don't know how many weeks at that point, uh, you can afford to be um, a little daring. And so they made this video. Uh, it stars Michael Jackson and Ola Ray as the girl who plays opposite him. She was uh, a Playboy bunny uh, at that point. And I don't think she had much of a career afterwards, but uh, she is great in it. And 
they, you know, Michael Jackson wanted to make sure it had the practical effects. So it has um, the transformation of him into a wear cat. Why a wear cat? Uh, well, the makeup specialist, a little guy named Rick Baker, and if you don't know him, he got uh, real famous from doing a small independent film known as Star Wars. Um, so definitely, again, no slouch in the makeup department. They went all out on everybody in terms of talent for this. Um, so Rick Baker wanted to do a werecat because I guess he felt like he had done a werewolf already. So um, that's why Michael Jackson's a werecat in it. And uh, if you notice uh, early in the video when Michael Jackson comes out uh, of the movie theater that's playing, you know, it's got Thriller on the marquee. There are a lot of posters behind him. Those posters are all posters for Vincent Price movies. Uh, prominently in there is one for House of Wax, which I think is one of his better ones. Uh, so a nice nod to having him in there. And it's also a non-traditional music video because if you watch it, it recuts the song. It doesn't just play the song front to back. Um, it actually re-edits everything and reorders it. So the chorus of the song is missing in two spots where it ordinary would, ordinarily would be. Michael Jackson just sings the first few verses back to back without the chorus in them. Then before he gets to the chorus, we actually get the Vincent Price narration, which is in the album, it's at the end of the song. Here it's in the middle of the video as he narrates over the zombies um, coming out of their graves. Uh, then we get to the, the music drops away and we have the scene of the zombies menacing Michael and Ola Ray. Then the music kicks back in and then we get the chorus uh, of the song that uh, after the this incredible dance sequence, um, probably I would, for, for my money, the best dance sequence in any music video that I've ever seen, including other ones by Michael Jackson. Um, there's been a lot of great dances in music videos. You got Paul Abdul uh, and DJ Scat Cat in opposite the track. That's a good one. Um, but this is a dance that, you know, this, there's a reason when people do flash mobs, this is the dance they do um, to this day. And uh, my daughter first got into this thing uh, because she saw the movie 13 going on 30 uh, with Jennifer Garner, which in that movie, it's basically a, uh, um, a new spin on big. She uh, is magically transported through time from her 13 year old self into her 30 year old body uh, 17 years later. And at one point to spice up a party that's kind of, uh, you know, falling apart, she asked the DJ to put on thriller and she starts doing the dance and everybody else does the dance with her. And in a movie where someone magically time travels, the most unbelievable thing about it is that every single person at this party uh, knows the entire thriller dance by heart and just jumps right in. Um, it's it's an unrivaled piece of dancing from one of the best dancers ever. Um, when the movie pre video premiered, they did it at a movie theater with uh, in uh, Hollywood or, or Westwood in, in L.A. And a lot of luminary celebrities came to it, uh, one of whom was Eddie Murphy, which, not surprising, he was a big Michael Jackson fan at the time, which uh, everybody was. Um, but he actually demanded that they, after it was over, you know, for them to play it all over again. The video ate up MTV. Uh, you know, just blew everything up. They noted that their ratings went were ten times their normal ratings whenever they played Thriller. Uh, in fact, they would advertise when it was going to be on, so nobody missed it. And it became, like I said before, the number one video of all time. In almost every poll, uh, it wins, and it's 
because it's kind of hard to top. There's the ambition of just doing the 13-minute video with all the horror stuff in it. It's fun because everybody likes spooky-ooky stuff. Um, it's got all the Halloween theming. You can trot it out every year. And it's got that dance number that is an all-time G-O-A-T. The video almost never came out. Michael Jackson almost destroyed it. Um, because at the time, he was a Jehovah's Witness. And the church got a hold of, or got word as to what Michael was doing. And they said, oh no, this is devil-worshipping stuff. Um, you, you can't do this. That's kind of de rigueur for the 80s. Um, the satanic panic that went along with Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s. If you've watched Stranger Things, um, that's been kind of dramatized, especially in season four of Stranger Things. They talk about that, that for some reason, religious parents got real worried that their kids were playing a board game where they were casting spells and stuff. And it's, you know, when you see what Dungeons and Dragons actually is, of course, it is not even remotely like that. People, you know, Basically, it's just you just roll dice to see if you can attack a you know a pretend monster. Um, there's no real magic in it at all. But there were lots of things like this where people got – this this comes up kind of in different ways from time to time. People did it with Harry Potter, right? The same thing of like, ooh, the kids are getting into the occult. And like, yeah, but not really. You know, it, it's the level same level of magic that like, you know, Mary Poppins uses. It's just not worth getting uh, bent out of shape over. But Michael Jackson – was I guess you know uh, under the sway of the Jehovah's Witnesses at the time he took that to heart and he was going to destroy it. Um, thankfully, I forget who I, I remember reading in my research, but I can't remember now who intervened to save it. Um, but they managed to convince Michael to put a disclaimer at the front of the video that says, you know, this is not meant to be an endorsement of the occult. Um, you know, I, I'm not, and he sort of distanced himself from that. And I think, you know, he, he later on uh, was obviously very glad he made that choice because this defined his career. This, again, he was already very famous. You know, he, it's kind of this like bump set and spike from his original days with the Jackson 5 to having, you know, some success with Off the Wall and a lot of success with Thriller before this. And then when this hit, it just exploded everything. Um the, the red jacket that he wears became an, a, a, an iconic piece of clothing. Uh, it was actually put together by Debbie uh, Noodleman, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and who is uh, John Landis's wife. She designed that, that jacket, which I can't even imagine what it's worth now. Um, but Michael Jackson had this almost magical way of making things iconic simply by his association with them. He walks out on stage one day with just one glove on instead of two. If he had worn two gloves that day, no one would have cared. But because he wore this one glove, suddenly that became uh, a flashpoint. Oh my God, he's the gloved one now. That's his nickname. Um, he did that over and over again with different things. Um, to the point where, you know, if you watch uh, any of the stuff from Bad, the follow-up, right? The, the Bad suit um, that he wears in that. The uh, the white uh, kind of tailored linen suit with the fedora that he wears in the Smooth Criminal video. Um, this empowered him to ultimately make uh, a semi-movie called Moonwalker that sort of had some plot elements and also stitched together a bunch of music videos uh, from both the Thriller era and the Bad era. 
um, that I watched as a kid. And now, you know, looking back on it, remember, he likes to spend a lot of time with kids and, you know, he thinks he's rescuing them and it's awkward now. Um, but he, he pushed the art form, uh, for both music and music videos. It's undeniable that he had this enormous impact uh, and again, became a person so famous that he could barely function in society anymore because of it. Uh, and there's something kind of extraordinary in that you think that, you know, Thriller has only nine songs on it. Nine songs, that's it. And there's like one or two that are kind of meh. But the other seven are uh, indelible pieces of music history. Uh, to a degree that, again, I don't think anyone will ever equal that again. Uh, I should also mention, of course, where Weird Al Yankovic comes in, um, because this album was so big that, of course, he hit it big, really hit the big time with his parody, Eat It. But I'm raising that not because of Beat It, but because even at the end of the Eat It video, he sneaks in a little parody of Thriller. He does the bit at the end where he turns around, looks at the camera, and he's got the yellow cat eyes that Michael Jackson does. Um, now, one, that's just astute on Weird Al's part, but it says something that even a parody of Beat It, by that point, you know, he couldn't ignore the thriller. He didn't go out and rewrite Thriller um, to be, I don't know, dinner or whatever he would have done with it. Um, he, he stuck with Beat It, um, but he still made sure he got a little nod into Thriller while he did that. Uh, I... I look back at this with my own nostalgic eyes to the 80s. I was too young when this came out to be aware of it when it happened. But it's been a part of every Halloween of my life ever since. Like I said, every Halloween playlist, it's there. Um, and it's sort of the king of all the Halloween songs, even above stuff like the Monster Mash. Um, there are many, many, many Halloween songs, but this one seems to be the king. Um because it's a good song anytime. You throw that on, and it's a good freaking time. Um, I thank you for coming with me on this journey through Thriller. I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode, but hey, it's about one song. How much can I really say? Um, but I do want to, uh, of course, remind you that if you like this podcast, uh, go on uh, iTunes or uh, Spotify, wherever you found it. Make sure you can drop a review there. Um, please uh, like it, share it, tell people about it. Uh, and if you have thoughts on Thriller or uh, our last two episodes, Beetlejuice and um, Phantom of the Opera, uh, please tweet them to at NostalgiumPod. Uh, that is, of course, our uh, contact point on the internet. And uh, we should talk about next episode, which is going to be uh, really fun. Uh, we are going to have ourselves a little teleporter accident and talk about The Fly. Specifically, of course, the... Uh, the Cronenberg version of the fly. Although we'll touch on the the uh, you know the the Vincent Price one as well. Ah, there is a connection. Vincent Price is in the original fly, and uh, we'll be talking about the famous remake with Jeff Goldblum, a uh, a movie that also contains another connection to Thriller, which is awful body horror uh, and gross transformation. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that with you again. If you have thoughts about the fly, um, please tweet them to at NostalgiumPod. And until next time, we'll add one more page into the Nostalgium Arcana.
Come on, I'll take you home. Ah! 